Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Just look at the clock. You've got to watch the clock when you come to the vineyard. So uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm going to dive straight in with a question for you. When you're worshipping, which you do so well here, what Jesus do you imagine? When you're praying, what Jesus are you praying to? Bit of a strange question. Let me unpack that. But, you know, when you're worshipping... Are you imagining the incarnate Jesus? You know, the Jesus who, who walked around the Sea of Galilee, hair flowing in the wind, you know, blue eyes, looking like Robert Powell out of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, some of the ladies thinking, yeah, I quite fancy thinking of him when I'm worshipping. Well, but what an amazing Jesus. The world had never seen a man like that. Or when you're worshipping, do you, do you imagine the crucified Jesus? And this morning, the songs were prompting us to think of that Jesus Uh, hanging on a cross for you? Or do you think of the resurrected Jesus when you're praying? You know, Jesus bursting through the walls of the upper room and, and, and breathing shalom, his peace, and resurrection life deep into your, your inner core. Is it that Jesus that you, you think of when you pray? Great Jesus. Or is it baby Jesus? We've just done Christmas, haven't we? we don't, I can't remember where we are in the year. But, you know, Christmas is a time when we remember baby Jesus. And we all go, ah, oh, baby Jesus. What an amazing Jesus. Bible says that God hung up his power and glory, kind of put it on a, on a coat stand, as it were, and humbled himself and became like us. Careful. I'm getting carried away. I'll stand still. And uh, I mean, you could spend a lot of time thinking of that Jesus, couldn't you? Or maybe it's the coming king that you think of when you pray. You know, the, the, the Jesus who is coming back could be today. Coming to judge the living and the dead. Not in secrecy, not, not as a baby, but as a king on the clouds of glory with angels and, and thunder and lightning. Can't wait. Is it that Jesus? Some of you are saying, no, no, it's not that one I think of. Let me um, get to my point. Uh, of late, I've been led to, to uh, think about the Jesus of now when I pray. The Jesus of now. Now, that sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? And some of you clever theologians are saying, well, hang on, Jesus is out of time, and he's all of those things. And I know he is, but, you know, he's no longer walking physically around the Sea of Galilee. He's no longer hanging on a cross, thank God. He's no longer bursting through the walls of the upper room in Jerusalem. He's no longer in a stable, and he hasn't come back yet. So where is he, and what is he doing? It's a fundamental question that we should be asking ourselves often. Where is Jesus right now and what is he doing? And um, I've been really helped uh, by one particular book of the Bible that paints the picture gloriously, amazingly, of the Jesus of now. And we're going to have a quick quiz. Are you ready for a quiz? There's a prize. My new book. There you go. And just happened to have one. Uh, sneak the advert into my preaching time so we all get it all mashed in together. But um, quick quiz. Now, if you are on the pastoral team, if you have a degree in theology or scripture study, uh, or if you've heard this talk before, you are exempt from this quiz. All right? But the rest of you, here goes. You're going to get my new book, or Dare to Believe, brand new, signed. Oh, no, that's not. Well, I'll sign it. And um, if you can tell me... What book in the Bible paints the picture of the Jesus of now most effectively? Uh, it has been called by theologians in the past the fifth gospel. All right, come on now. In the Catholic Church, when I do this, this goes on forever. I can't tell you. They're making up books that don't exist, you know. So it should be quick in here, right? So come on, what book am I talking about? Hold on. Who said a pop? What? Who the, 
Acts of the Who said that? No, it's not that. That's great. Good. Lovely. Who, sorry? Revelation. You know, it does paint the picture of the Jesus of now, but it's not the one I'm after. There is another one that even supplants it. Give me another one. Ephesians, the queen of epistles. No, but it's lovely, isn't it? Who? Song of Songs. No, come on, this is getting Catholic now. Yes, sir. No, but he was... Who? No. Who said Hebrews? You said Hebrews. Come on down and get your prize. Well done. I will sign it later. Come and find me. Well done. Hebrews. There you go. The letter to the Hebrews. I wonder when you last read the letter to the Hebrews. It's just an incredible letter. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, could have been Barnabas, somebody who really knew the Jesus of now. And, uh, you know, uh, it's... Uh, let me read it to you. Hebrews 1. I'm sorry, I'm not up with the techie stuff here. I haven't had time to get my head around it. But Hebrews 1, verse 3, says, When he, Jesus, had by offering himself accomplished our cleansing of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Hebrews calls him the great high priest. And he's sitting there as I speak, as you sit there dozing off or whatever you're doing. Jesus is sitting on the throne right now. And do you know what he's doing? He's praying for you at this precise moment. But I'm not going to go down that road because that's not where I'm going on this. But, but Jesus is alive and is seated in heaven as we speak. And you know, Hebrews uh, is an amazing um, book, quite a big book. Uh, and it reminds us of the good news. Anyone need some good news this morning? A few of you look like you could have a bit of good news. But we need good news, don't we? We're surrounded by bad news. Can I slip in a joke real quick? Might have nicked it off Chris, so if it's a bad one, blame him. Here we go. Um, uh, this uh, guy's a busy executive, and uh, it's one of those good news, bad news jokes. You know, and he's, he's at work, and he's just stressed out, and his wife's desperately trying to get hold of him. She gets put through on the phone by the secretary, and he picks up the phone and says, Oh, and uh, she said, Darling, it's me. He said, I am really busy. You know that. She, uh, and she said, I'm so sorry. And she said, I've got some good news and some bad news. And he said, Listen, I'm so busy. Just give me the good news. And she said, Okay, you know your brand new BMW 5 Series? The airbags are working. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right, just checking if you're awake. The good news that uh, we are reminded of in this letter is that you don't have to die before you can come before God Almighty. You don't have to die before you can come into God's presence. A lot of people think that's what has to happen. That, you know, if we, if we really kind of grit our teeth and if we do our best and keep out of trouble and, 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 you know, when we make death, you know, just maybe, just maybe we'll be allowed in at the, at the back of heaven, you know, the two and six pennies, if we've, you know, if we've really kept ourselves clean. That's what people think. It's a load of codswallop. And Hebrews just smashes that theory, that religious lie, right straight on. This is what Hebrews says in chapter 4. And you know it, I know. Since we have a great high priest who's gone to heaven, let us come boldly, fearlessly, with confidence to the throne of our glorious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us just 
when we need it. We can come boldly and confidently right now to the throne of God, the creator, sustainer of the universe. This is good news. And you know, it wasn't like that for thousands and thousands and maybe millions of years. I don't know how long, but it wasn't that way. Since um, a dreadful thing happened at some time in our human history, it's called the fall. Adam and Eve, probably not called Adam and Eve. I don't know what they looked like. I don't know how it happened. I don't know where and when, but I know it happened. When our great, 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 great forebears stupidly turned their back on the Father who they had intimacy with. They walked with God the Father. The Bible says in Genesis, they had perfect intimacy with the, with the one who sustains us and loves us and, and provides for us. And they were seduced, as we know. And stupidly, they turned their back on him. And the instant they did that, uh, there was this dreadful rupture that happened in human history that we call the fall. And I know it happened because I experience the echo of that dreadful event every day of my life. Every time I, I'm torn to, I'm led to be selfish or proud or, or, or uh, judgmental or every time I turn the TV on and I see the news and I see the violence and the, and the murder and the rape, it was all the echo of that dreadful, dreadful event. And at the second that that event happened, God closed down shop. He pushed humanity out of his presence. I haven't got time to unpack that theologically, but there was good reason for it. It wasn't out of anger. It was out of protection for us because anything that is sinful gets burnt up in God's holy presence. So God closed the shutters down and, and um, mankind had to survive uh, a harsh life without him. And that's how it's been for generation after generation. It was symbolized in, uh, in the heart of Jewish faith, the chosen people, God's rescue plan, forming a people. And at the heart of uh, Israeli, Israel faith, at the heart of the Jewish faith was the temple. It was very important, you know, more important than the Vatican or St. Paul's Cathedral. This was like the, the hub of the world, that great temple. And at the heart of the temple was the, was the Holy of Holies, the, the tabernacle. A cube where God lived on earth. The, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was like a nuclear reactor. God's presence on earth was in that little room at the heart of that temple, at the heart of Israel, at the heart of the world. And uh, stopping any human being from going into the Holy of Holies was a curtain. Uh, erected under God's instruction, 60 foot high, probably about as high as this, 30 foot wide and 5 inches thick. This was like a bulletproof curtain. You were not allowed to go through the curtain. If you did, you were instantly nuked. Smoted is the biblical word, but it's nuked. Only one man, once a year, was allowed to go through that curtain. He was the high priest. He was like the Pope, you know, or Chris, all right? And uh, <laughs> we all have our popes, don't we? And... Uh, he just doesn't have the red shoes like my one does, but there you go. And, um, and so the high priest was allowed through on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Jews call it. They still celebrate it when they celebrate that incredible uh, freedom from slavery. And on that day, once a year, the high priest was allowed to go through the curtain, but he had to do something before he went through. He had to confess every one of his sins and every one of the sins of the whole of Israel. It took a while. 
And you know how they did it? He put his, his hands on the top of a goat. That goat looked a bit like our dog. Uh, we've got a whippet, it looks like a goat. And, uh, and he, put, he put his hands on the head of the goat and confessed the sins on the goat. This is true, every year. And then would kick the goat up the backside out into the wilderness where it would die. Bit sad. Sometimes I want to do it to my dog, but don't get me going on that. Okay. And so that goat was called a scapegoat. And having done that, having confessed all of the sins, he was allowed on this day to go through the curtain. But you know, he went through with a rope tied around his right ankle. Because if he'd forgotten one single sin, he would have been smoted. And they would have to have dragged his bones out with the rope. That's how serious it was. For generation after generation, a hundred years after a hundred years. The Jews knew they were not allowed into God's presence. Until one day. An amazing thing happened. And I know you know. But that curtain, 60 foot high and 30 foot wide, was torn from top to bottom. God was exposed. God, God's presence was released to humanity again. What an, can you imagine how that would have freaked out the priests? Hundreds of them, you know, sacrificing, pouring out the blood, pouring out the blood and the incense and all that stuff happening outside the Holy of Holies, outside the curtain, as they'd done, as their fathers had done and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers. Suddenly, that tearing, wrenching must have freaked them out. And, and why did that happen? What caused that amazing tearing of the curtain? Another tearing was taking place at that precise moment another tearing would be a great name for an album wouldn't it another tearing probably within 300 meters of the temple on a little hill just outside Jerusalem there was a tearing of human flesh taking place at that time not any human flesh perfect human flesh the flesh of the son of God Jesus of Nazareth was being torn willingly upon a tree, upon a cross, on a hill that was skull-shaped. And as he poured out the most precious, powerful substance in the universe, the supernatural cleansing agent that is the blood of Jesus, as he poured out his blood, as he shed his blood, as he was slaughtered, as the scriptures say, the Father tore the curtain. And revealed his grace to humanity. Well, I'm getting excited. Sorry, I'll calm down. I should have stayed in bed. Here we go. Hebrews 10. We have full freedom and confidence to enter into the holy of holies. By the power and virtue of the blood of Jesus. This new and living way has been opened to us. By him, through the separating curtain, that is, through his flesh. The blood. The blood has done it. And you know, the blood of Jesus is still flowing today. As the blood poured from his side, if you remember, it came mingled with water. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Uh, The Holy Spirit was right there, of course, and and took a hold of that blood and and is now pouring the blood out. And has been for 2,000 years over this planet, pouring, pouring the blood of Jesus. There's an amazing prophecy at the end of the Old Testament, so probably, what, 400 years before this event took place that the prophets 
prophesied. Zechariah, sounds like an old Ford car, doesn't it? Zechariah, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, says um, that a fountain will be opened in heaven for the cleansing of our sins and our impurity. A fountain was opened on that cross 2,000 years ago, and that fountain is still flowing for you right now. 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away, you can step under the shower of the blood of Jesus anytime, any place, anywhere. And whatever your sin, whatever your impurity, whatever your weakness, whatever your frailty, whatever your issue, your problem, whatever you're limping with, can be washed clean right now. It's an amazing, amazing message. The blood that was flowing throughout the Old Testament uh, to train people of the importance of the blood. Then the blood was poured out 2,000 years ago and it's still flowing and it's going to flow until the day Jesus comes back and then end of story, end of shower. St. Paul writing uh, in Hebrews, no, 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 Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. In a modern translation that I discovered uh, about a year ago says this. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the shower, we can dare to believe. That's where I got the title of the book from. We can dare to believe that we can come boldly into God's presence. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I can come boldly into God's presence. the bottom line and uh, it's what prompted me to write the book I'm flogging them outside so I'm going to quickly tell you Um, my lad's selling them Giorgio, he's a good salesman seven quid, got a pound off, money doesn't go to me it goes to charity, but if something's stirring as I'm speaking if you want to plunge deeper into this you know, this is my introduction to the talk and I run out of time, it's just dreadful so you're going to have to buy the book if you haven't got any money, come. I'll give you one it's not a problem But this opens up for us incredible possibilities, this truth, in all areas of our life and our thinking and our relating, and it's just just an amazing thing. So here's my question as as I wind down. Have you got paresia? Now, yeah, that's a question, isn't it? Sounds like a transmittable disease, doesn't it? But it's Greek. It's a Greek word. I know three Greek words. I know paresia, moussaka, and ouzo. And... um, (laughs) Uzo, yeah, someone else knows about Uzo, and uh, Sambuca, they call it in Italy, of course, which is a finer, finer version. But paresia, Greek word, very important. Have you got it? Paresia means to have a holy, bold confidence before God. It means that you can stand in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your frailty, in the midst of your sin, that you can dare to come before God's holy presence on a Tuesday morning at 8.30. When you've got paresia, it means you can dare to face your sin without running away like Adam and Eve and kind of hiding yourself. Like, like, you know, that's what they did. You can stand with your head held high not because you're clever, not because you're better than anybody else, not because of anything you've done, not because of your self-righteousness, the Bible calls it, but you can stand tall with your head held high because of the blood of Jesus. That's what paresia means. 
Parisia is, uh, is your most valuable asset. You need to get it. You need to keep it. You need to build it. You need to exercise it, feed it, fan it into flame, and share it with other people. You need to protect Parisia more than anything else in your life. Because if you lose Parisia, you are, you are lost at sea. You lose your anchor. You're then a slave to your feelings, to your guilt, to your shame, and the lies that are coming at you from all sides. You need Parisia. And we need to have Parisia built in us. Which is why you come here. It's what Chris and Fliss and Linda and the team do. You know, that is their job. Is to build Parisia in us. To remind us of the truth. And, and Sam and the worship team. That was, that's all building Parisia. You know, and, and then Linda and her team. You know, they, they minister that Parisia into, into the crevices of our being. You need to pray for them. They are more important to you than your, than your fitness coach, than your bank manager. They're more important to you than your doctor or your dentist or your financial advisor or your, your, your gym classes. This is important. You need to pray for them and pay for them. There you go. I'll get kickback on that one. But it's true. This, this is life or death. That we would have parasia flowing in our hearts. I'm going to finish with a story, if you don't mind. You know, we lose parasia because it's just too good to be true. We, we can, it can go into the realm of fairy tale, all this stuff. By Wednesday, Tuesday, even tonight for some of us. So here's a quick question. You know, where are you? When you pray, I want you to imagine the, the temple, Solomon's temple. This was the temple of Jesus' time. The temple had been knocked down a few times, and, and there was this amazing temple. Uh, it was huge. There was one of the cornerstones in Jerusalem, as big as my house, one of the stones of this thing. It was humongous. It was massive. It was white stone on top of this range of hills that you climb up to Jerusalem. And as you came over the, the, whatever, the Kidron Valley, I don't know which one it was, you were suddenly blinded by golden sunlight because the temple had big gold plates all over it. So the sunlight, the Israeli sunlight, would just bash off. And it was just an incredible building. And then you made your way up once a year, uh, at least, uh, and when you came to the temple, the temple was made with certain courtyards. Uh, and I'm sure you know this. The outer court um, was the court of the Gentiles. That was the busy one. That was where Israel interfaced with the rest of us. That's where they, you know, uh, the, they did the selling and Jesus kicked over the tables. And it was just chaos in there. And then uh, the, the next um, courtyard going in to the, to the center, the next courtyard going in was the uh, courtyard of the women. Holy Jewish religious women who were keeping the law, which was tough for a woman. I tell you, you see some of the you know restrictions and issues. But the, those of, those women who were were keeping the law were allowed to come into this courtyard, 
And they could see through the colonnades into the next courtyard, going up in importance. And of course, that's where the men were. Sorry about that. That's how it was. And this is where, if you were a holy Jewish man, and you were keeping the law, you were tithing, you were fasting, and you were, you know, doing your bits and pieces, you were allowed into this, you know, this holy kind of place, this this very important courtyard. And they would see through the colonnades into the next courtyard, which was the courtyard of the priests. And this is, as I've mentioned, this is where the the Levites, honored uh, tribe, uh, uh, dedicated to to God's service, they were pouring out the sacrifices and, you know, looking after those candles, the light of the world, and and, uh, amazing things going on there. And then beyond them was the curtain. And beyond the curtain was God, God's presence. Where are you? If you could put yourself back 2,000 years, you know, where would you think you, you were worthy to be? Now, let me tell you where I am on, most, you know, on a good day. I've been to church. You know, I've read my Bible. I've kept out of trouble. On a good day, and they are rare. On a good day, I would put myself, if I'm really honest, with the women. That's about as far in as I'm going to get. And holy women. I have a great respect for women walking with God. I don't think I could see myself going any further in than that. On a bad day, which is most days, I'm out here somewhere. I'm down here. I'm down the valley. I'm in the Kidron Valley. I'm, I'm down in Tel Aviv or something. I am so far away from where God's presence is. And, and, you know, and I pray, and, and my prayers, it's like I'm shouting my prayers up and you know, hoping that those prayers will make it through all those courtyards and, and maybe God will just hear it you know, over there somewhere, but I doubt if he does, but I'm going to shout the men away. And I, and I just feel cut off from God. I don't feel worthy. And, and I see all you other holy people. You're down there somewhere and I'm at anyone that's where I am most of the time to be honest with you so I want you to imagine me I'm down there and I'm feeling you know miserable because there's nothing worse than than a miserable Christian is there it's just oh it's just a terrible place to be my neighbors are much happier than me most of the time and um, and then suddenly there's this bit of a thing going on and Jesus of Nazareth the rabbi the the master comes out of the temple and he comes down into the Kidron Valley and he says David you come here I mean, David, and he takes me by the hand. Now, let's get it on to you. He takes you by the hand. I'm taking it you're down there with me in the Kidron Valley, okay? And he takes you by the hand, and he starts walking you through the court of the Gentiles, through all the chaos, and, you know, around all the, you know, uh, lamb poo all over the floor, and it's just messy there. And he takes you through, then through the court of the women. And the women are, uh, you know, they're smiling at you because they're the women. And then he takes you even further. He takes you through the court of the men. And this is where the tutting starts. What's Susie take? You know, tut, tut, tut starts there. But you just keep your head down. Jesus says, just, you know, stay focused. Don't look at them. Don't listen to them. Come with me. I'm taking you. And then he takes you through the court of the priests. And this is where, you know, the tutting and the spitting starts. and, And stones start flying at you. Because who are you, woman or man, to be allowed in this sacred place? And yet Jesus says, just keep your head down. Come with me. And he takes you through. And he takes you through the curtain into the holy of holies before his father. And says, Father, look who I've brought. Julie, John, Peter, Chris, David. I've brought them. Bible says that Jesus is our forerunner. Jesus has gone before us. And, and you know, we are now in Jesus. 
through our faith and, and our baptism, Paul says that we've been plunged into Christ. So where Christ goes, we can go too by faith. And when you have paresia flowing through your veins on a Tuesday wet morning, when you've really let people down the night before, you can stir up that precious gift. And within five minutes, five minutes is all it takes, you can stand under that shower and you can get your position back right again. And you can be as happy as your pagan neighbor. Okay? (laughs) Parasia is what we need. Anyone here needs some more parasia? Should we stand and ask God to give it to us? Come on, it's that simple. It is that simple. Let's stand. Worship team are coming in a second, but let's just have a quick pray. I'd invite you to close your eyes if you're happy doing that. And if you're really, really, really bold, I'd put your ha- ask you to put your hands out to receive before you. Come on, let's, uh, let's pray earnestly. Now engage your spirit. I'll pray, but you've got to pray as well. Jesus is here by his spirit. The Father is here by his spirit. So, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, Father, we ask for this precious gift of parousia that was poured out at Pentecost. Father, we ask that you would increase it right now in each one of our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Just let him come on you now. Take it. Take a hold of it. In Jesus' name, I claim for each one of you here the gift of walking into that shower. There might be people here who have never experienced that shower. Today is the day. At the end of this service, there's a a group of people down here, team, praying for folk. If you've never stepped under that shower, if you're dragging your stuff around, come down, let them pray over you, and you will have the first proper shower of your life. But the rest of us who've had that shower, just receive again the grace and the confidence and the boldness of the gospel. Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts. Jesus. Jesus. Okay, take it. Let's worship now. Let's sing from from our bellies. Let's... Praise him for what he's done for us.